What a corker song. Does anyone here, is anyone here good at getting lost? Does anyone here know someone who's good at getting lost? We've all got our friend, don't we? I'm that friend. I am the chief of getting lost. I can give you all a run for your money. Uh, last weekend, I went to go and visit a mate in Manchester. I went to get the train. It's an easy job, isn't it? Birmingham New Street, had to change at Crewe, and then get on the train from Crewe to Manchester. Easy. Got off at Crewe, got on my next train at Crewe. Doors closed, I was heading to my seat. And over the announcement, it said, Welcome to Virgin Trains. You're now um, on the train heading for Birmingham New Street. And I said, How does that happen? Now, you know what Virgin Trains are like. They don't stop anywhere, do they? So, yeah. So I only had half a day in Manchester, but, you know, I got there in the end. Today we are looking at searching for the lost. It's the last of our searching series. Ironic that I'm talking about searching for the lost, as I'm good at getting lost. But we'll do what we can. We're going to look at two people today who both met Jesus. They were both lost, but one of them was found. And we're going to look at the two and see what we can learn from them. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke 18. We're going to read the account of a rich ruler. And then a little bit later, about a man named Zacchaeus. We're going to read from Luke 18, verse 18. And then skip a few verses, then read from Luke 19. So, turn your Bibles to Luke 18, starting from verse 18. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. When he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Then skip the next few verses and we're going to read from Luke 19 verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, 
I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to seek and to save the lost. Outside of you, Lord, we were lost. Lacking for direction. And you restored us. And you saved us. And we praise you and we thank you for that. I pray today, Heavenly Father, that you, through your word, will help people to see you clearly in all truth, in all life. Give us a joy that comes from knowing you. Help us to know you better. To love you more. To see you clearer. I pray that you'll speak through and beyond me today. Amen. So, we read two different guys. Both are rich, but both were lost. Both encountered Jesus, but only one was found. Only one of them was saved. I think it's really interesting that Luke recorded this interaction with Zacchaeus so shortly after his interaction with a rich young ruler. We're going to unpack the differences between these two exchanges today and see what we can learn. So first we encounter the rich ruler. We don't know much apart from him, don't know much about him, apart from that he was, you know, rich and he was a ruler. Um, but he arrives on the scene and he asks Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. There's a bit of back and forth and they talk about the Ten Commandments. And then Jesus tells the ruler to sell absolutely everything and to give his money to the poor. The ruler becomes sad because he can't do it. So Jesus says in response, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Because that's the rich ruler. But then he meets Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is another rich guy. He was a tax collector. And tax collectors in this day were people, Jews, who sided with the Roman government who were oppressing the Jews and made lots of money because of that. So tax collectors were hated. They were frequently talked about as awful people. And Jesus encountered Zacchaeus, who was one, who was very rich. Anyway, Jesus sees him up a tree. He's like, dude, get down. We're going to have dinner. And then Zacchaeus only gives back, only gives half his wealth away and pays people back fourfold. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. He notices there's a bit of double standards going on. How come the rich young ruler has to give away everything he owns? And when he can't, Jesus says, how hard it is it for the kingdom, for the, um, those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. But then Zacchaeus gives away half of what he owns and pays a few people back. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. Isn't there something, does Jesus favor Zacchaeus? I think there's something else going on. Both men were lost, yes. But there's a great difference between the heart of the ruler and the heart of Zacchaeus. Notice what happens when Zacchaeus responded to Jesus' call to come and stay in his house. Zacchaeus understood that Jesus doesn't just stay in your house. He is either in your entire life or he's not at all. You don't just have him in for a bit into your front room. He's in your entire life or not at all. God says in Ezekiel 34.16, I will seek the lost. And we see that in today's passage, Zacchaeus wanted to be found. He knew he was lost and he wanted to be found. He allowed Jesus into his entire life. 
he brought all his mess to Jesus. Jesus said, I'm coming over. Zacchaeus said, welcomed him, and then he handed everything over. The difference between Zacchaeus and the rich ruler was the ruler wanted eternal life, but Zacchaeus wanted Jesus. The ruler saw Jesus as someone to get something from. Zacchaeus saw Jesus as someone to be with. That's the difference. The greatest thing about being a Christian is Jesus. The greatest thing about being a Christian is union with Christ. And it's because of this relationship, because of this union with Christ, that we get eternal life. It's that way around. Zacchaeus wanted Jesus. And because of this, he received salvation and eternal life. The ruler wanted eternal life without the commitment and union with Jesus. He got it the wrong way around. He saw salvation as something to be gained. But in fact, salvation is a life to be surrendered. And it's the same with relationships. The best thing about being married is the union with your spouse. It's the relationship And because of this union, because of this intimacy, you are physically intimate. But to pursue sex outside of marriage is seeking that privilege without the commitment or the union. And we see this all through society, don't we? Not just in relationships. But people will see how much they can get with as little commitment as possible. So my question to all of you today is this. Do you want union with Christ? Do you want a relationship with Christ? Or do you want to get out a hell free card? Are you seeking Jesus? Or are you like the rich young ruler? Do you see Jesus as someone to get something from? Or someone to be with? The question is, do you want union with Christ? Or get out a hell free card? And the answer to this question will completely transform the way you live. Transform the way you think. Because if you want to go to heaven, but you're not too bothered about Jesus, then you're going to try and work. You're going to try and bargain for salvation. But there's no such thing as a get out of hell free card. So we need to stop asking questions about minimum entry requirements. Let's stop seeing how much of the old sin that we can still hold on to whilst trying to be a Christian. Let's stop asking questions about how far is too far. Where's the line? Jesus said, follow me. So how about we get on and follow him? Not say, oh, I'm close to you, but I've still got this here. No, no, no. He said, follow me. So let's follow him. John Oldberg says this. He says, salvation isn't about getting you into heaven. It's about getting heaven into you. It's not about relocation, it's about transformation. It's not about what God wants to do to you, it's about what God wants to do in you. It's about allowing Jesus' kingdom life to permeate our little lives one moment, one choice at a time. Look back at Luke, Luke 18 with me just a moment. I want you to notice something about the ruler. In Luke 18, 18, we find out that he's a ruler. So he's a guy with power. In verse 21, he tells Jesus that he's kept the commandments since his youth. Since his youth. So, you know, he's a good person. He was a man of good standing. 
And then in verse 23, we discover that he was rich. So in just five verses, we found out this man was powerful, he was upright, and he was rich. And in the parallel account in Matthew 19, we find out that he was young as well. So on the face of it, this guy had everything. He had youth, he had power, he had good standing, and he had money. That is what, is, that, that's, that's what the world says is everything. He had everything according to the world. But, but, he came to Jesus and he said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He had it all. What the world says you need to have, he had it all. But he knew something was missing. In the world's eyes, he had everything. But he knew something was wrong. He knew there was a problem. And instinctively, both you and I know this too, don't we? We know there's a problem. We know there's a big problem, really. There's a problem so big that despite medicine and all the medical research through the years, it cannot be cured. It's a problem so big that despite our scientific research, our studies, our learning, our education, our academia, the problem cannot be taught. We cannot research an answer. It's a problem so vast that despite our commerce, our finance, our banking and investments, the solution cannot be traded or bought. No amount of philosophers thinking, psychologists analysing, politicians campaigning, musicians playing, sportsmen running, artists creating will solve this problem. The problem is too big. In fact, you and I both, we know this is the case. We know that the right person in Downing Street won't solve our problem. We know that more education and more schools will not solve our problem. Our problem is too big. But we often hide from it. We pretend it doesn't exist. We have a couple of pints on the weekend to try and forget about it. But in the morning we wake up and the problem is still there. We take a holiday to get away from the stress of the world. We come back and the problem is still there. We try and distract ourselves with sport, with entertainment, with films. Though they're all good, after a few hours of bliss, the problem still remains because it's too big. What is this problem? Sin. The problem is sin. The rich and ruler had everything, but he still had a problem with sin. We have a fundamental problem with this. And it's not something that we can hide from. There's no use becoming a monk and sitting at the top of a mountain. The problem is not external. You cannot run from an internal problem. Jesus said this in Mark 7, verse 20. He said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. And isn't that just a list of what is wrong with the world today? That is what is wrong with the world today. That list right there. And where does that come from? It comes from you and it comes from me. We're the problem. We've got a big problem. We need a big saviour to save us from this problem. We have a problem with sin, and the rich ruler recognized this. In the world's view, he had everything. Money, power, good standing, youth. 
But he knew there was a problem and he went to Jesus about it. He came so close. The only person in the whole world who could save him from this problem was Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He went to the only person who could save him, yet he left unchanged. He left lost. He left unsaved. And this is heartbreaking. The only person who could save him, and he left unchanged. Where the ruler went wrong was he thought eternal life is something that he could earn. He asked, what must he do to inherit eternal life? And this is fundamentally wrong. You can't do anything. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no man can boast. We can't do anything to receive salvation. It's a gift from God. The only thing that needed to be done was done 2,000 years ago on a cross by Jesus. In fact, there's a really hard bit in the passage we just read. Really hard. It's in Luke 18, verse 25. I want to read this again. Jesus says this. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's impossible. It's impossible. Now, a few centuries ago, some dude invented a story about this. He said that the eye of a needle was a gate in the, Jewish, in, in the wall in Jerusalem that a camel could sort of squeeze through if he got rid of his bags. That's a lie. He made that up. There's no, there's no evidence for that. That's complete false. When Jesus said, and I have a needle, he meant a sewing needle. He meant a sewing needle. And let's be honest, how hard is it even to get a bit of thread through that, <laughs> let alone a camel? Jesus wasn't telling a parable, he was saying some facts. As possible as it is for a camel to enter the eye of a needle, so it is for a rich man or woman to be saved. It's impossible. And just to put things in perspective for you guys today, the UK minimum wage, if you're earning that, you're in the top 3% rich people in the world. So if you're in England and you're earning, you're in the top 3% richest in the world. And then Jesus says this to us. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But if we continue, we read this. Those who heard it said, who can be saved? And Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. That is good news. That is an impossibility conquered by God. This is the greatest miracle of all time, that we can be saved. Now, I love hearing testimonies of people getting healed. I love great stories of miracles. But you know the greatest miracle? It's following Jesus. For it's impossible outside of God. He is good. And he made the way. It's impossible for us to save ourselves. But through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is made possible. Don't be like the rich man today and say, what must I do? Because Jesus says there's nothing to do. It's finished. 
follow me. John Leonard says this, Our salvation from beginning to end is the work of God's grace and not our work. And if we're going to effectively share the gospel of grace, we have to know this grace for ourselves. So, how are we saved then? How are the lost found? Well, the Bible says in Romans 10.9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confessing that Jesus is Lord means acknowledging that he is Lord of everything. Jesus is Lord is an acknowledgement of his divinity. It's saying you are God, you are holy, and you are good, and you are glorious. But it's also an acknowledgement of his kingship. You are king. You have all authority over me. By saying Jesus Lord is a massive statement. It's saying you're king. And it's saying you're God. And it's saying I'll live by, under, and with you. It's a declaration of the complete authority of Jesus. Jesus isn't just Lord of Sunday, of church, or the spiritual aspects of life. He's Lord of everything. Lord of the good and Lord of the bad. He's in control of everything. And this is, brings us peace in the very, very difficult times. And this is what Zacchaeus understood. He brought his entire life to Jesus. Jesus wasn't just Lord of his house or the dinner that he was going over to have. Zacchaeus said, have everything. Here. I'm opening up my entire life to you. He brought his sin before Jesus. And that's what we need to understand too. So by confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we are saying you have all authority over our life. And this looks different in different areas. For example, if you're saying, Jesus, you're Lord over our family, over my family, we're saying you have all authority over this. We submit everything to you. May all that we do, think and say be in line with your will for the glory of your name and for the purposes of your kingdom. Should we be praying that for our families daily? Saying, God, have your way. Lead us your way. Saying, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Jesus taught us to pray that. Can you pray that and mean it? Being a Christian is not just a ticket for eternal life. It's not just an add-on or a box to check. You know, like, I've got the house, I've got the car, I've got the religion. It's not an add-on. It's declaring that Jesus is Lord of your entire life and saying, You'll, you have, you've got the authority. I'll follow you. I'll do as you do. And I'll, I'll say what you say. It's submitting everything under him. It's doing life with him. Enjoying him. And loving him so much and desiring his will so much that anything that distracts you or gets in the way of following him, you'll cut it out. It's making Jesus more than anything else. See, the ruler wanted Jesus and money. He wanted Jesus and. Do you want Jesus and today? Or do you you just want Jesus? Do you just want Jesus? Do you want Jesus and money? Or Jesus and success? Or Jesus and faith in blank? Let's be like Zacchaeus and just want Jesus. Zacchaeus wanted Jesus and Jesus alone. The rich ruler wanted Jesus and. One went away sad and the other entered an eternal relationship with the Lord God. I know which I want to be like. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one 
and despise the other. The young ruler found out that day that he couldn't serve two masters. Money might not be a problem for you today, but is there something else vying for your attention? Are you trying to serve two masters? Because there's only room for one. Now hear me correctly. Following Jesus does not mean that we're to give all our money to the poor and live on the streets. Nowhere does Jesus command that. Now some people may be called to that, but that's not prescriptive for all believers. What I am saying is that being a Christian means that Jesus and your relationship with him is your greatest treasure. So by confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, we're saying, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you more than anything this world could offer. Money, success, friends, family, health, safety, comfort. There are some big things that us Westerners take for granted. And they're all great blessings to be enjoyed. If we have them. But God is the real blessing. God is the real treasure. Salvation is the real miracle. Let's be seeking things of eternal value, shall we? Because health's going to come and go. Money's going to come and go. Comfort comes and goes. But our relationship with Jesus, that's eternal. This is something Paul understood. He wrote to the Philippians in 4.12. He said that in Philippians 4.12, he said, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Contentment in Christ. That's what Paul found. Isn't that what the world's looking for today? We see people looking for contentment in all sorts of different avenues. There's mindfulness. There's different stuff that we can spend our time and try and be content in. But what Paul said, he said, things can come and go. I'm content in Jesus. Now that's good news. Because Jesus doesn't come and go. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He is the only sure and stable thing in this world. So let's hold on to him. This is some good news that the world needs to hear. We know that the world is looking for contentment in all sorts of areas. Let's show him Jesus, shall we? Let's show him Jesus. Paul enjoyed blessings from God, but he didn't cling to them. He enjoyed them. And when he had things, he didn't make them an idol, like the rich ruler did. His strength, his joy, his foundation was in Christ. So he could have much or he could have little, and he could still be content. I want to say this. Being a Christian isn't predominantly about what you do and what you don't do. It's about loving Jesus and following him. Don't you think it's interesting that the Bible, God's word, is everything God wants to say to us as people. And it's not a big old list of rules about what we do and what we don't do. It's a narrative about God. A narrative about a glorious, loving, redemptive God. It's a story of God and how he came to earth for those he loved. And he will redeem all those who follow and surrender their life to him. Being a Christian isn't predominantly about what you do and what you don't do. It's about loving Jesus and following him. But as we love him and follow him, it will shape what you do. And it will shape what you don't do. 
Because we see that in Zacchaeus' life when he followed Jesus. So when we speak to friends, family, colleagues, and neighbors who don't yet know Jesus, don't sell Christianity as a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's not right, and it's selling it far too low. The best, most glorious and wonderful thing about being a Christian is the relationship with the living God. It's the union with him. I know that for the rest of my life, whatever I face, I'm going to face it with Jesus. I can wake up in the morning before whatever's going to go on that day, and I can say, I'm going to do it with you, Lord. In the next 10, 20 years of my life, I'm going to experience such great sorrow, but also great joy, because that's what life is. But I'm going to do it with Jesus. That is the privilege of this. That is the privilege of walking with the living God. Come on. The joy of our union with Jesus is what we should be telling our friends and family about. And the lifestyle will follow. Think about Zacchaeus. Jesus never told him once to give away his money. But as soon as he allowed Jesus in, he said, right, I'm going to give it away. I'm going to repay people. Zacchaeus wanted union with Jesus so much that he got rid of anything and everything that got in the way. So as we speak to our friends and family who don't yet know Jesus, don't be telling them what to do or what not to do. Tell them about Jesus. Because he's amazing. And also, if Jesus is a central part of our life, then he's just going to come from conversation. I love rugby. So often when I talk about stuff, I just talk about rugby, whether you like it or not. I love Jesus. So when I talk to people, I talk about him, whether you like it or not. That's what it is, isn't it? You know, some of you might love football, some of you might love other stuff. And it just comes up in conversation, because that's what you spend your time reading, looking, and thinking about. The same is with our faith. It will come up naturally. But it has to start, be surrounded in, and end in prayer. Pray for those you know, and pray for those you love, who don't yet know Jesus. Ask God to soften their heart. Ask God for opportunities to speak to them. Ask God for confidence to speak to them. Pray for them throughout the day, whenever you think of them. And as we pray and spend more time with God, we'll know him more, be more passionate about him. And who knows that passionate passion is really attractive. It's great for pointing people to Jesus. Now I know, many of us feel ill-equipped to share our faith. Who, who feels ill-equipped to share their faith? We feel like we don't have all the answers. But you don't need to. You don't need to have all the answers. You know who Jesus is. You know what he's done in you and what he's doing in you. You know what he did on the cross. And you know that he rose again. And you know how he's transforming you. Start with that. Have a pop. Have a go. Because you know him. I want to invite the band up. And as the band come up, I want to ask you one question. What do you know about street signs? Does anyone know lots of stuff about street signs? I know nothing about street signs. And that's precisely the point. Street signs point to things. No one cares about street signs. They care about where they point to. I've seen so many photos of the Stonehenge but I've never once seen a photo of a sign saying A46 because that's what takes you to Stonehenge. I've seen loads of photos of the Angel of the North, but I've never seen a photo of a sign saying A1 because that's what takes you past the Angel of the North. One of the point I'm making here is we are to be signposts pointing to Jesus.
it's not about us. It's about where we point to. Signposts don't hide and point away from the road. They're clear. They're simple. And they point to where you're going. So I want to encourage you today. Be a signpost this week. Be a really, really good signpost. Because you know what? Rubbish signposts have loads of words on them. Rubbish signposts make themselves look good. No one cares about a signpost. They care about where it's pointing to. So let's point well. Let's point clearly. Let's point with joy because we know where we're pointing to. Signposts don't shout. They don't force. They don't hit you. They don't argue. They're clear. And they're simple. So let's be some signposts this week. Let's point point to Jesus. Love him. So as we close and sing our final song, can I encourage you to be like Zacchaeus and welcome Jesus, not just into your house, but into your entire life. Allow him to transform you. Allow him to transform the decisions you make. And from this relationship with Jesus, share with others. Share with them the joy and the privilege of knowing and walking with the Lord God Almighty. Pray for others. Ask God to soften their hearts. Shall we stand and sing our final song? And as we sing, let's say, Lord, I owe my entire life to you. Have your way in and through me. And help me this week to be a really, really good signpost. Shall we sing?